Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Growth Show. I'm here as always with the lovely Claudia Harvey. Hey, everybody. And the first month of 2021 is almost over. So, Craig, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? I've never been a big resolution person, actually, Claudia. I, I basically move through my year as something comes up that I need to do that I do it right away. So how about yourself? I'm actually the opposite. I don't know. Maybe it was my family traditions that we always talked about what New Year's resolutions were going to hit. I do believe a lot of people get rid of their New Year's resolutions or they make it funny and or they, you know, they, they fall off the New Year's resolution bandwagon for, but I, I have made a New Year's resolution. Do you want to hear it? Sure I do. It's very, very simple. And I think it stems from the difficult year of 2020 that we've all had. And it was a goodbye to 2020 and hello 2021. And I've always, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I've always lived and I've tried to live in gratitude. And it's, sometimes it's really hard, you know, when you're facing a lot of hard things. So my New Year's resolution, to make a long story short, is to think in the morning and night, five things that I'm grateful for overall in the morning. And then at nighttime, five things that I'm grateful for that happened in the day. So that sets my mindset to the next day. And it just, it, it just grounds me. And so far I have been able to meet my New Year's resolutions. That's and, awesome. And it's really simple. You know, you, I do it while I'm lying in bed, right before I close my eyes. And it, it, it's actually giving me a sense of peace and calm. Uh, that's a, a really good resolution and a really good process. As you say, it puts you, it puts you in the morning in a positive mindset and it puts you as you're going to sleep into a positive mindset. Yeah, so yeah. things that you're grateful for. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. So homework, nice. everybody try that. If you haven't tried that before, try it. There's your, there's your homework for today. Yes. So Craig, who is our guest today? So today's guest is Louis Buenaventura, a thought leader in the cryptocurrency space. He has presented at numerous industry and economic conferences around the world, including the World Crypto Economic Forum in San Francisco, the International Money Transfer Conference in Madrid, the Latin American Bitcoin Conference in Bogota, and the Brookings Bloom Roundtable in Aspen. Wow. Yes. Um, well, I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation. Cryptocurrency thought leader. I can't wait to have him on. Yes, so really every, looking forward to it. Everybody, don't forget to like and comment and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And please comment and click the bell for any updates and videos. Yes, but before we go, Claudia, let's start off with something positive. Well, you know what? I have just something tiny, personal, something positive. This goes along with actually my gratitude theme. Um, I, many people understand who Pandora is. Pandora is a company out there that sells, they started selling charms probably about 15 to 20 years ago, maybe. I'm, I'm, I've lost track of time. But over the course of my travels and over the course of my kids growing up, I would get a Pandora charm whenever I was traveling somewhere that meant something to me. So I had a dragon charm from when I went to visit China. I had dice charms from when I went to visit Vegas. Um, I had a compass charm for when I think I went to um, Whistler in BC for one Christmas. Anyway, I lost, the, I lost the bracelet. And I was so sad. And this happened actually in 2020. I lost the bracelet. But yay, 2021, I found the bracelet in a box that it must have fallen off my wrist. And I was purging some things. I was going through some things. And I found the bracelet in a box. And I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful sign. And that 
is positive. It's just that is a tiny great way thing. to start 2021. That's Absolutely. What I thought. That's what I thought. So that's, yes. that's my positive. Very nice. Um, so what are your thoughts on cryptocurrencies, Craig? Well, cryptocurrencies, I'm actually fairly new to it. I was introduced to it a number of years ago and a number of people told me, Craig, you've got to look at cryptocurrencies. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I watched a little bit, got to know it a little bit, but I wasn't comfortable enough to move into it until about three months ago. Uh, when I actually bought some Bitcoin, I invested in something that required to invest through Bitcoin. And I really liked the use of it. I really liked how we have the secondary authentication to get into our, our accounts. And I really liked that I was able to move my money from Canadian dollars to Bitcoin to US dollars without paying an exchange rate, mm -hmm. which you know, I, and I shouldn't say an exchange rate. There is an exchange rate because a certain amount of Bitcoin for a certain amount of Canadian. But I wasn't paying that upcharge that I would normally be charged by the bank for moving my money from Canadian to, to ultimately to U.S. is what I did in that transaction. So I definitely will look forward to what we're going to hear today because as an analytic, as a sponge, I'm really interested in hearing what Lewis has to share with us. Well, and I think that's great because I don't think a lot of people really truly understand Bitcoin, even though it's been around for about 10 years. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say as well. So, um, so let's bring him on. Our guest today is joining us from San Juan Beach in the Philippines. He's the founder and chief strategic officer at Bloom Solutions, a crypto entrepreneur, author, and cartoonist. Oh, San Juan Beach. I would be, I would give my left arm to be on a beach right now, considering it's snow outside. So uh, that is amazing. It's welcome so much, so much welcome to you, Lewis. So, Lewis, a crypto entrepreneur, I am so excited to hear his story. Everyone, I'd like to welcome Lewis Buenaventura. Welcome, Lewis. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, you told us there's a meaning behind your last name. What's that meaning? Uh, so, my last name is Spanish. Buenaventura is a literally good venture. Um, so, you know, you can imagine that that kind of is advantageous if you're trying to raise money from investors. Thus far, I've not actually been able to make that work as a joke with uh, investors that have put money into my company. I, I know that for a fact I am not a bad venture. I'm a pretty decent venture. Um, but yeah, yeah, so far, that, yeah, not, not been able to make it work as a joke just yet. <laughs> Well, we're, we're all about positivity and having a name that is good venture has got to be a positive direction for you in your life right from the ground up. So very nice. So before we get into talking about crypto and how you got into that space, we'd love to hear about your cartoon sign. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, I, I'm, an art, I'm an art guy. I'm a, I, I went to art school. Um, I grew up with comics, all of that stuff. Um, to be to be honest, um, so, so this is a hard story to tell without getting into the crypto stuff because the art is actually informed by the crypto stuff. Um, like I wanted to kind of use the artwork as a way to make this stuff a little bit more like the, the esoteric nature of, of crypto, the um, kind of very mathy, very unfamiliar, very uh, kind of it feels it feels um, uh, very confusing. I wanted to kind of frame that in things that are 
um, a little bit more familiar. And that's kind of why I started doing the art. Um, I started doing that in 2017. Um, I would do, at the start, I was just doing these tiny little doodles to make my friends laugh, right? So like Iron Man complaining about how high the price of Bitcoin was, uh, you know, like things like that, right? And just like these little doodles. Um, and, and I was starting to get more and more uh, just, just general feedback that people were finding it entertaining and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it was something to look at that was not just the Bitcoin price, right? It was like, it was cute, it was funny, things like that. Um, and I became more and more serious over the last few years. Obviously, this is not my main job. This is like my side job because I'm actually running a crypto company at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, this was mostly something that I did because there's still a part of me, my, my, my brain, my, maybe even my soul that needs to create mm -hmm. art because that it feels like that was um, kind of my, my primary instinct uh, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, that, that's the that's the story behind it. Um, I go by the name CryptoPop, and um, you know uh, you can probably guess why I chose crypto. But the pop side is very important also because I'm trying to blend pop culture and and crypto, right? So um, whatever happens to be big that year, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, uh, Marvel Comics, things like that, right? Those are the kind of things that I blend into. This stuff, but all of it is crypto themed, um, and the idea is that you know, you people will recognize these um, images, they'll recognize this iconography, and they will also notice that hey, there's like a there's like some Bitcoin stuff going on here, some Ethereum stuff. So now it's a little bit more accessible to them because there's a hook that allows them to kind of get into the narrative a little bit more easily. So that's kind of like, sorry, that's like my, my, long, my long roundabout way of explaining how I got into it, I suppose. I think that is, that is so incredible. Like you obviously have the very math side of your brain because you're in crypto and we'll get into that, but you have the creative side too and, and the outlet of art that you've now tied together into your occupation. And you sell your art online, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there's this kind of newish. Um, so we call this crypto art. That's the that's the kind of general term for it. Uh, artists like myself, we can um, create our digital art. We can put it up online. Uh, people can buy copies of it. Um, people can you know bid on it in on in like some kind of auction. Um, so I've been lucky that, you know, like I'm, I'm not the best selling artist in the world by any stretch, but like, um, uh, I've had, I've had people build, build like a couple thousand dollars for some of the art that I've produced. Um, so it's certainly been very flattering and it's like, um, I, I, I'm almost there. It could, it's almost a full time kind of <laughs> gig based on kind of how much I could potentially make from it. I'm not quite there yet, but. I mean, for now, I do it because I'm passionate about this stuff, and I I want to be able to create something that is not math, that yeah. is not programming. It is it is a visual, um, uh, creative, artful um, uh, output uh, that is still kind of within my my wheelhouse. It's still within my industry and right. my and the culture that I'm trying to um, promote. Right. So that's kind of the um, that that's the that's the thought behind it. And you yeah, I, I find it great, as, as Claudia said there, too, that you've taken your passion about art and brought it together with 
your, your passion around crypto, but now actually monetized it as well. So it, it's wonderful <laughs> that you're, you're being able to do something that you really enjoy in your business, in your work, but to monetize that as well is, is awesome. That's really good. Yeah, and so you created um, a particular piece on a certain person, am I right? That bought the, the art. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Right, right. So, um, you know, crypto, Bitcoin, they have heroes, they have villains. We've got this whole mythology around this stuff, right? We've got about 11 years worth of history. Uh, one of the portraits that I made recently was of this guy, Charlie Schramm one of the early Bitcoin advocates, like he was the guy who tried to, uh, well, he was, he was basically selling Bitcoin to New Yorkers back in 2011, 2012, you know, things like that. It's like the wild west days of Bitcoin. Big hero of mine, mostly because he did it when no one else did, right? Um, anyway, so I, I made a portrait of him. Um, he's got a pretty cool podcast called Untold Stories. Uh, I made a portrait of him in full podcaster gear, cyberpunk headset, microphone, all of that stuff. And he bought a copy of it. And I was very, very happy that, um, that when he said that he had bought it, he actually tweeted about it too. Um, as far as I know, that is the only piece of crypto art that he owns, which is even weirder to me. I'm kind of like, surely there has been others, but like, that's the only one he's ever tweeted about that I'm aware of. Um, so, but, and, and, and I, I, part of the goal recently is to kind of highlight these um, very important people that are maybe not in the public eye, right? So these people who were uh, intrinsic or, or critical to the early growth of, of crypto um, that are maybe they're scientists, maybe they're programmers, maybe they're authors, and they just don't have enough of a social media presence for people to really know who they are uh, enough, right? And that's kind of one of the reasons why I've been making all these portraits recently. That is very cool. So. Can we back up and I'm going to ask a very basic question because I think a lot of people don't really even understand crypto, Bitcoin. Tell us what it is. Let's go right down to the basics. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bitcoin is really kind of where it all started. So this is 2009, um, just after the great financial crisis. Um, you know, uh, Bitcoin was released as a basically as an alternative way to think about money. Um, I, I mean, we're seeing deja vu uh, right now. Yeah. It looks like 2009, we had, you know, kind of like we started doing things like quantitative easing to, to print more dollars, to, to stimulate the economy after this big recession. We're doing that again now. 2020 is exactly the same thing. Um, so those problems are kind of um, just they're part of the flaw of the way that money was originally designed, the fact that you know people like the Federal Reserve, central banks can just print more units of the money that you know the, the country uses, that can't work long term. Um, so here's an interesting statistic for you, right? So 20% um, of all of the U.S. dollars that has ever been in existence was printed this year. That means that. In, in, during this lockdown, during this pandemic, the, the Federal Reserve of the U.S. has inflated the total monetary supply of the U.S. dollar by 20%. Now, you, like even the most basic understanding of economics will tell you that that is not the way money is supposed to work. You can't just invent, you can't just add new units 
to the thing without actually adding any value to the thing. There is no new value. They're just printing more money. And um, I think it's um, stuff like that. It's, it's actions like that that was the impetus for the creation of Bitcoin. Um, they wanted to create a monetary uh, mechanism that was uh, not possible to inflate in that way. You can't make more Bitcoins in the same way that you can make more dollars. Um, Bitcoin has a very specific set of rules for issuance. It has a very specific set of supply that can only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. Um, you can't add more of it. So um, what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a, a new type of money that rewards people for long-term savings, that rewards people for you know, kind of holding onto their money rather than spending it in a profligate way. Um, you know, that, that's the reverse of what you would have with, say, the US dollar, because you know, like with the stimulus plan and all of that stuff, what these guys are trying to do is they're trying to get people to spend as much as they can, because that right. is how the economy uh, brings itself back up, which right. is fine. I understand the reasoning behind it, but like you can't just keep adding more units to the thing. It doesn't work that way. There's no backing value for the extra, uh, I believe it's something like $9 trillion mm -hmm. that has been added to the monetary supply. Like, where did that even come from? Mm -hmm. so, but so, 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 so that's kind of the... Uh, yeah. So, Lewis, I'm, I'm, we're interested, I'm interested in hearing about how you actually got into the crypto space. I, I haven't right. seen crypto very much. People have been telling me years as a financial guy, Craig, you, you've got to look at crypto. And it was only about three right. months ago, actually, that I finally said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I bought some Bitcoin and a few others. And at that time, it was trading around okay. 13,000 Canadian. And now, as of today, um, it's, it's 25. been running up at 25,000, right? Like, it's just, it's like, wow. So let, how did you get into this crypto space? Um, I've always been a technology guy. Um, I got into social networks back in the early 2000s, kind of like, you know, at the, the, when, when this stuff was just starting, right? Um, and I basically tried to ride the wave of, um, uh, of every kind of internet technology, at least experiment with it, see if there's a business you can build out of it. Bitcoin was kind of one that I regrettably did not get onto fast enough. Um, I got into it in 2014. Now, you know, obviously that's very relative, right? When I say that um, I didn't get into it fast enough, I got into it at like the lowest Bitcoin price I ever saw was 180 US dollars. Wow. So that is a far cry from, well, where we are right now is just shy of 19, right? We're, we're kind of in the 19, $20,000 range right now. Um, but there are many people who got in in the $2 range, for example. <laughs> And let's just say those guys are not working full-time jobs anymore. I think that's kind of the, the, the nicest way to say that. Um, but that being said, I think, the, I think the fundamental reason why it spoke to me was because, you know, I live in a country, so I live in the Philippines. We are uh, a secondary currency. So that, that is a kind of a generous term for currencies that are not the U.S. dollar, <laughs> that are not the euro, they're not the Japanese yen. Right. Um, so these are currencies that you don't really want to hold savings in. Uh, why? Because so um, I'm, I'm I was born in 1981. Uh, so here's interesting numbers for you. Right. So I was born in 1981. At the time, 
you could buy one US dollar for 11 Philippine pesos. So keep that number in your head. Uh, as of this morning, it takes 48 pesos to buy one US dollar. Wow. Um, so over just my lifetime, I mean, I'm not even that old, uh, we've lost about 80% of our, 85% of our, our power against the US dollar. Now, what that means is that, you know, like, so my parents started saving for things like my college education when I was born and things like that, but they are not rewarded for having put that money away because the Philippine peso continues to, to fall in its relative value against the dollar. That's not even talking about things like, say, the consumer price index, right, where every peso that you spend is worth, it buys less and less groceries every year. Right? So things like that have always bugged me, and Bitcoin felt like a, uh, a rejection of the previous um, couple hundred years worth of um, you know, kind of monetary policy and a rethink. It was like a really aggressive rethink of how humans approach money. And what Bitcoin is, is it, it completely lets go of the idea that we can have centralized banks, centralized planning, and just do one thing. We will just have math. So we will put our trust in math instead of central planning, central banks, and things like that. Now, whether or not this is the correct solution, that is still something that we need to prove. This is a grand socio-economic experiment, and no Bitcoiner will tell you that this is the perfect solution. However, I find it, I find it very interesting, yeah, Lewis, interesting. that that you got into it because of the technology side. As a financial guy as an, as, and an analytic, yeah. you know, I look at the financial side. So very interesting that you got in from the technology side. But hearing you talk yeah. about, you know, obviously we're in Canada and US and our, our currency seems a little bit more stable, obviously, than what you have yes, in the sure. uh, Philippines. Yeah. So I find it also very interesting that you bring up the fact that the declining Philippine dollar or peso, mm -hmm. Pesos, against the yeah. US. And when you go into Bitcoin, to me, what it sounds like is it puts everybody on a level playing field, right? We're all in the mm -hmm. same currency yeah. and it's very level. So if somebody wanted to actually get into cryptocurrency, how would they even start? Where would they go to? How would they buy it? So, um, well, you guys are a little lucky because this is the right we're, it, this is the right year to be doing that for the first time, right? So, if you happen to live in North America, you've got literally your PayPal account. You could just buy Bitcoin through your PayPal account as of two weeks ago. Um, if um, you probably might have also access to Cash App, which is another um, kind of Silicon Valley kind of um, startup that has been selling Bitcoin directly from their app. Um, for, for the last year or two. Um, there's literally a whole mess of different ways to do it. I would say that PayPal is by far the easiest. And if you're not in a country where PayPal has already opened this feature up, um, they're supposedly opening up to the rest of the world on the, in the first half of 2021. So very, very easy to get into it. Um, Coinbase is another one. That's US, Canada, Europe. Um, it's just that you know most people don't have a Coinbase account. It's most people do have a PayPal account. So the fact that you already have an active PayPal account where you've already submitted all of the necessary documentation to get it working, and now you click a button to buy as little as a dollar worth of Bitcoin, uh, this is like you can literally do this. Uh, you can buy a dollar's worth of Bitcoin from your PayPal account right now. Um, that is such a powerful thing. 
Um, and like honestly, I feel like PayPal's move in this direction uh, it, it basically cements the fact that you know this is this stuff is here to stay now, because uh, PayPal had three hundred has three hundred fifty million users around the world, about a hundred million of that lives in the states. Um, they haven't even opened the rest of it yet, right? They're, they're, they're going to make this stuff open to uh, all of their other um, users around the world. Um, and they're already at the point where PayPal customers supposedly are, are buying up 70% of all of the newly issued Bitcoin as it's being issued. Meaning that the majority of Bitcoin that is being created as we speak, it's being bought up by just the PayPal customers in the States. Wow. So we're not even, you know, at the level yet where it's at a global level, right? It's almost, um, you're almost so it's at, very exciting. So you're almost at yeah. a secondary ground floor. So it started out early in the, you know, 2009, 2010 in the last recession. But it sounds like yeah. if people are really paying attention and PayPal certainly is paying attention, it's an opportunity now to get into this interesting market. And do you think that, well, I think I know the answer, but do you think the value of Bitcoin is going to increase even more than it is today? Yeah, 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 um, for sure. But like um, one of the things that I have to say on my own show is that this is not financial advice. I have to kind of put a disclaimer on stuff like that. Right. But um, I will say that it is an inevitability, in my opinion, it's an inevitability that Bitcoin's price will go up because it is naturally scarce. The only other thing that we have that is as scarce as Bitcoin, less scarce actually, is gold, right? Um, gold has been with humanity as a store of value, as a um, unit of account for 6,000 years. Um, and it is a very, very reliable way to store your wealth. The bad thing about gold is that it is heavy. It can't send it in an email. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's easy to kind of, you know, if, if there are people around you that have sticky fingers, it's easy to lose it. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't have any of those problems. So well, I'm interested uh, it is um, in many ways. Lewis, yeah, go ahead. Lewis, I'm interested in here. You said, I believe you said there's 21 million bitcoins that can be released total. Is that the number? I'm yes. interested in hearing yes. how many of those have been released so far. But before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about the different platforms? Uh, you talked about pay, buying Bitcoin through PayPal and what have you. But I remember a couple of years ago when I was actually first talked to about Bitcoin, I did open up a blockchain account and I did nothing with it. But since then, as I've moved into it and started buying Bitcoin more recently, I opened up a Netcoins and a ShakePay account that I do my transactions okay. through. So can you talk about those different, the difference between blockchain yeah. and something like a Netcoins or? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you mean blockchain.com, right? So um, blockchain.com, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So blockchain.com is a wallet, right? Okay. So it's kind of the difference between, so um, the places where you buy Bitcoin, it's not necessarily the places where you store it. Um, and the main thing to bear in mind here is that there are many, many companies around the world that are all specializing in different areas of focus, that the areas of focus could be geographic, they only work in Canada. Uh, it could be um, jurisdictional, like they only work in the Eurozone, right? Or it could be roles. Uh, we only want to be storage. We don't want to be retail. We don't want to be uh, exchange, you know, things like that. There's lots of different ways to go about this. So blockchain.com is a wallet. That is where you would store your Bitcoin. 
Um, I, I believe the other brand names that you were mentioning, I, I, I'm not super familiar with, with kind of some of the other providers in Canada, but it sounds like they are a retail exchange. So that is for um, the average customer to buy uh, a small amount of Bitcoin with Canadian dollars. Um, every country, every continent will have a different version of these companies because regulations, uh, you know, kind of uh, compliance, things like that. It makes it so that you can't, it's very hard to specialize globally. You, you have to be like regulated and licensed in, in a particular country. It's very challenging to, you know, to do that in many, many countries. I mean, Coinbase is really the only company who has managed to do many countries at the same time. Um, most other companies will specialize in a particular country or a particular continent, um, just because it's so challenging from a regulatory standpoint. So, um, as a as a trader of Bitcoin uh, myself, would a blockchain.com wallet suffice for all I need, or do I need one of these other accounts as well? Um, so, it is easier to get up and running with something like blockchain.com. Blockchain um, it is very, very easy to set up. Um, the wallet that we always recommend to first-timers, and I, I, you don't sound like a first-timer, but like the, the wallet that we usually recommend to first-timers is a wallet called BRD. Um, B they say R they pronounce it as bread. BRD. BRD. Um, and yeah, you say bread. It's bread wallet. Um, so it's like my daily bread. That's, that's, cool. that's the <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, so they are so that's uh, available on Android and iOS. Um, it's super simple to set up. Like that's the that's the wallet that I gave my dad, right? To 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 have his first small Bitcoin investment. Um, it's very simple to set up, um, but this is not where you buy. So that's kind of this is just where you store. Um, where you buy is very specific to where you live. Uh, here in the Philippines, I would say well. I mean, I'm talking to you right now, so you know, buy from us, I guess. <laughs> but like, if you were in Vietnam, if you were in Thailand, different brands, different companies altogether. Um, same thing in Canada. Um, you've got a whole bunch of um, pretty big uh, Canadian uh, crypto exchanges over there, and you also have uh, Bitcoin ATMs, which is pretty interesting, right? So you could walk up to one of these machines with Canadian dollars in your pocket slip it into the machine and you get Bitcoin out the other end, which is pretty cool too. Um, I, I imagine that you probably got a bunch of those in Toronto because like I was in Vancouver uh, a couple years ago and I saw a bunch of them in action. Um, so it's definitely a thing that is kind of pretty popular across the country. Right. Well, I have to say yeah. I'm now savvy and I'm, I'm, like, <clears throat> I'm trending because I've now bought my first Bitcoin about three months ago. So yay, <laughs> yay me. Nice. And that was actually because awesome. Craig told me awesome. to. Yeah. So awesome. I've joined the bandwagon 10, 10 years later, but hey, I'm on, I'm on the wagon, <laughs> different kind of wagon. <laughs> yeah. So, so before we yeah. go off the, the wallet discussion, um, onto some other discussions, um, Lewis, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about, you talked to about, um, bread wallet, you talked about, um, blockchain.com wallet. I've also been told that I should have a hard wallet to save my money. Is there a difference yes. between having a hard wallet and using a blockchain or a, um, a blockchain.com and a uh, bread wallet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so this kind of next level security, 
right? So I'm sure you guys have a bank account where you've got like this little USB doohickey, right? That gives you like a pin code when, whenever you want to spend a certain amount of money from your bank account. Right. Same concept here. It just gives you another layer of security so that, you know, I mean, these are kind of recommendations we give to people who are maybe making hundreds of thousands of dollars in of Bitcoin investments, right? Like, like, firstly, what the hell are you doing putting that much money on, on a phone app, right? Like, so you should be securing it additionally with um, things like uh, these hardware uh, devices. Um, so that's basically what it is. It is analogous to kind of the, the two, we call this two-factor authentication. The second factor is this little device that gives you like a pin code. Um, and that is, uh, that's kind of what it's for. It's just more security. People can't steal your Bitcoin from you without having both your password for your Bitcoin wallet and this device, this USB device to make sure that, you know, that, that's the only way that they would be able to take your money from you. And that's, it's just more secure that way. Yeah, that was one of the things I really liked moving into Bitcoin is having that, um, that um, second level of security that uh, the password, not right. the password, the pin code is always changing. I think uh, I use Google Authenticator and I believe my, my passcode changes like every 20, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's just another layer of security. It, it, it makes you feel better, right? Because the thing about Bitcoin is that unlike banks where, you know, like if your bank got robbed, for example, you're covered by insurance. Right, like no no amount of bank robberies will delete your bank account. But many many uh, people like don't. We're not talking like this. Many people don't realize, Lewis, that um, you're only covered for up to depending on where you are. Ah, Canada, of course. Yes. Canada, it's only 60, yeah. 60 or a hundred thousand dollars. So you're you're only insured for a correct, certain correct. amount, not all of it, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that's certainly correct. Um, I guess, uh, so the point I was trying to make though, is that with Bitcoin, you're not insured at all. Right. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of a pretty significant difference. Right. Your money is yours. It is your problem. It is your concern. And that's why you should be kind of, you know, you, you think about the security aspect of it very, very seriously because no one is going to like, you know, I mean, the community might help you try to, sure. you know, see if there's any way to recover lost funds, but there's no liability. It's it's you and you alone. That's your responsibility. And I think that's probably why people, uh, uh, you know, early adopters like yourself were great, but that's why people probably hesitated to get in. They didn't understand the concept. Yeah, yeah. But as, you know, tech... No, for sure. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. as technology is getting more and more prevalent, more easy to understand, you've got your phones, you've got... You know, back in 2014... Um, it was only like people that understood technology probably could get into this easily and understand it. People are now adopting technology a lot easier and uh, it's, it's just becoming easier too. Yeah. So um, yeah, but anyway, that's my little comment on Bitcoin. So, so it sounds yeah. like Lewis, you would recommend one of these hard wallets and, and I purchased one. I purchased a uh, Ledger Nano S. Uh, I haven't actually- That's the one that we use in our company. Yeah. Right, okay. And, and I was told to buy it directly from uh, the Ledger company and did that in the UK, yes. I believe. Yes. And I haven't put it yes. to use yet. I guess I should be putting it to use once I start to see a sizable amount of Bitcoin in my in my um, in my um, Netcoin or in my wallet. Well, I mean, right? sizable is um, so okay. So just to kind of give you an idea, so one Bitcoin was not very sizable in twenty. 
whatever, you know, like uh, 2015, 2016, right? That one Bitcoin is very valuable now. Yes. Um, so even if you only have whatever, whatever it is, right? And, and I, I should, this is a good segue to just mention that, you know, people who listen to this video now, um, if they are thinking about buying Bitcoin, know that you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You don't have to buy one. And certainly a $19,000 investment off the bat is not like that's not workable for a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you can buy 0.1, you can point buy 0.01, you can buy all the way down to like a couple dollars. So you've got a lot of latitude for, you know, kind of how you want to enter this stuff. Uh, but yes, um, I, I would say that, you know, um, you will be more motivated to secure your investment as the price goes up. For sure, because that's the same for everyone. But but as you say, it, it's it's a very nominal, small amount that people can get into into Bitcoin. They can start with whatever they're yes. comfortable with and, and start to understand it. And as an analytic, you know, I really watch the price movement of different investments I get into, and I found it very interesting watching the price move of Bitcoin. Yeah. So you, yeah. so you mentioned sure. you mentioned twenty one million. Uh, Bitcoin, that's the total that can be released. How many have been released so far? Yeah, so we're at about 17, 17 something, right? So the way this works is um, at the start of, uh, what, back when Bitcoin was just launched, so this is like 2009, um, every 10 minutes, the, 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 the network was issuing 50 new Bitcoin. And, you know, it did it because there was just no Bitcoin in circulation back then. So it was fine. It was fine to just like issue a whole bunch of them. Every four years, the amount of new Bitcoin that is being issued is gets smaller and smaller. So from 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes, it became 25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. It became 12.5 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. We're now at 6.25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. This will continue to happen over the next 120 years um, until we hit 21 million Bitcoins. So the reason for this is because um, when they first designed Bitcoin, they figured that you'll need like a huge, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a big, a big uh, uh, supply at the start to get people started with it so people can acquire it. But as it becomes more popular, the price will make it such that you don't actually have to buy that much Bitcoin in order to get to own a sizable dollar equivalent. So like, you know, one Bitcoin back in 2010, obviously just like a dollar or two now, not even a dollar or two actually. Uh, now it's, a, it's basically a pretty serious investment. So, so that's kind of why the issuance schedule tapers off over, over the next hundred years. So this stuff is, you know, they planned it pretty precisely. So it'll end, uh, I believe in, I forget, forget the exact year now, but like it'll, it'll take about a hundred years before the last minute amount of Bitcoin is issued. And at that point there will no longer be any Bitcoin issued. Um, and you know, humanity will have to make do with what's in circulation. And I should also mention that of the 17, 17 million that are currently uh, in existence right now, about a million of them have been lost permanently. Um, and this is people who didn't really, you know, kind of take their security seriously back in the day. 
you know, like they were sitting on maybe a couple hundred thousand Bitcoin. It was worth not even a few cents, you know, each Bitcoin back then. So they weren't taking it seriously. They lost their passwords. They lost their their secret phrases or, or whatever. About a million of, of the Bitcoin out there has been uh, estimated is estimated to have been lost permanently, which means that really the supply is actually more like 60. Um, right. Yeah. So, you know, so it's even more scarce than we think it is. So this is a this is an interesting point. Um, actually, one of our employees' sons, who's very into tech, he had that exactly happened to him. He lost his password. He <sighs> doesn't have access to Bitcoin. And um, oh I heard in the news, okay. and I and I sorry, I don't remember who it was, but I heard in the news last year that a um, multi 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 millionaire had a, a Bitcoin account and he died, and he didn't he didn't tell anybody about the password to his Bitcoin account. So he's, he had millions and millions of dollars worth of, of, of Bitcoin, not Bitcoin um, numbers. But so yeah. it's something that actually got to keep in mind as we're moving into this technology as more adoption technology. It is something to actually keep in mind for the people that um, are left behind when you are just determining your, your, um, you know, your wealth and, and what you're going to do with it for the people that are left behind. Yeah, that's that's very I mean, interesting. Honestly, you could very do interesting comment there, Claudia. Oh. Um, you know, you always you always like to give homework, so I think you should be giving some homework right now. That if you have some Bitcoin or or any kind of cryptocurrency, go make sure you know what your passwords are, and you're not going to lose them. And as you said, make sure the the people who uh, take over your estate when you do pass can identify what they are yeah, as well. Yeah, it's not a lot, it's not, we don't think about that obviously very much, but it's as this value increases that it's gonna be really, really important, I think. Yeah, for sure, wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some conversation around inheritance now and how, right. like, uh, how do you manage inheritance when your inheritance is a purely digital asset yeah. that is secured by phrases on, potentially on pieces of paper, actually, because you can actually store your Bitcoin wealth on a piece of paper. That is a viable way to do that. You have a you have a piece of paper, maybe you laminate it so it's a little bit more protected. You could put it in a vault, a safety deposit box, right. and you could just leave it there for your, for your I don't know, whatever, your grandkids to, to pick up. <laughs> and and, and Louis, when you say... When you say you can save your, your, your Bitcoin on a piece of paper, are you referring to your writing down your, your account and your passwords and what have you, and then laminated, of course, because it could be worth a lot of money and put it in a safe? That, that's, you know, that's very interesting. That's really good advice. Yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. I yeah, yeah. It's actually, so we call that a secret phrase. Right. So your secret phrase unlocks all of your Bitcoin wealth. It is not necessarily a username and a password. It is 12 to 16 words that sound very innocuous when you see them written down. It's words like grass and sky and clouds and, and things like that. Right. And in a particular sequence, they will unlock your Bitcoin wealth. Uh, so you have to be very, very careful with them. You basically treat them like they're treasury bonds or, or something else that is you know, kind of very valuable. And when you stick them in that safe, you make sure that people understand what the heck they're looking at, because otherwise they may might think that you wrote them a nice haiku. Yeah. Right? Or, so uh, you need to be or, careful about stuff like that too. Or, or maybe we send our beneficiaries on a treasure hunt from place to place to find the phrases and yes. put them in a certain area. Make make a game of it. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is that is. 
That is a great idea. Actually, like that would make for a very exciting way to inherit your wealth. <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice when I bought my my first uh, Bitcoin, transferred it into my uh, Netcoin account, and I did it by e-transfer, and it did give me some like three words that just didn't make sense together. So I guess it's a thing of Bitcoin to do that. <laughs> well, very cool. Yes. Well, you know, yes, it is. A, it is definitely a Bitcoin thing. Let's um, uh, let's move into the tech startups that you've done. So you've got this wonderful creative side. You're an artist. You've obviously got this techie side. So tell us a little bit about the startup space in the Philippines and what you've done yourself. Yeah, uh, so, well, I, I should probably focus on on the crypto startup because that's what I've been focused on for the last five years now. Um, so we wanted to take Bitcoin, bring it to kind of the, the Philippine market um, we're not as tech savvy or as tech forward as, say, the States or Canada. Um, and, and we felt like, but, but we felt like the Filipino market would benefit from this technology, primarily for kind of the reasons that I was explaining earlier, you know, like our, our currency just sucks and we need a better way to um, uh, uh, protect our, our wealth, the little wealth that we have. Um, and, you know, like putting it as pesos in a bank account that is earning, what, 0.3 interest per annum. It's like, what is that? That's nothing, right? That's not, that's just going to eat, get eaten up by inflation. Um, so, so the, the mission of my company, my company is called Bloom. Um, our, our mission has always been to kind of make this stuff uh, accessible to as many people as possible. Uh, we've been doing that uh, since 2015. Um, we, we entered the space. It was also still the Wild West. Uh, we kind of uh, were an unlicensed uh, crypto exchange for the first two years of our life as a company. And then finally, the Central Bank of the Philippines finally created a licensing framework that we could apply for. So we applied for it. We were the third company to receive it. And now we're completely in the regulated, compliant, licensed space, which means that uh, when I go to a big corporate customer and they are telling me, you know, we want to buy whatever it is, $2 million worth of Bitcoin, I am now able to take that deal because uh, I'm licensed to do so. Um, and, you know, this is not, you know, whether or not, whether or not you think that that is part of the original mission, it certainly means that there is more interest more serious investment happening in this space um, and like you know times are evolving so quickly that uh, honestly like uh, my, my co-founders and I are having a hard time catching up so uh, yeah it's it, like it's so far it's like the, it's such a far cry from the situation back in 2015 when no one knew who we were no one knew what Bitcoin was all of my conversations were what is Bitcoin and isn't that like this thing that drug dealers use? That was kind of the <laughs> early version of these conversations, right? Um, and I'm like, well, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I'm sure that drug dealers probably prefer uh, cash, but whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is not my area of expertise. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so given the, the, the playing field is moving, it's changing, it's, it's rapidly evolving. <clears throat> and a company like yourself, mm -hmm. Like having companies ourselves, Greg and I both have companies, we try to be as strategic as possible and be as, as uh, far seeing as possible. How do you do that in an environment that is changing and evolving so quickly? How do you be strategic with your company? 
Um, so I thought about this one a lot, actually. Um, I think that the Asian strategy for entrepreneurship is very different from the, I would say, maybe the, the American, North American, European strategy, which is like, I, I've always found that Asian companies tend to do many things at once. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see that in the way we design our apps. There's like a million icons on these things. Like every single feature you can think of is right on the home screen. Compare that to something like uh, something designed in San Francisco, these apps tend to be very, very focused. Like there's one thing that you can do on the home screen. The actions are very clear. Um, and I think that the reason why Asian companies tend to be like that is because the environment is so volatile. The business landscape changes so quickly. Things like an administrative change, right? A, a government change in like um, the way that they create licensing or regulation or whatever. It changes literally the, the, the underlying foundation of some businesses. So you have to be flexible. Um, so, you know, companies like us, we have a lot of different things going on um, that are all I, like in my case, we're all it's all it's all crypto related, but we have different angles. Um, we've got like the money transfer angle. We've got the business payments angle. We've got exchange. We've got um, consulting because we're not quite sure which ones of these will survive, say, the next regime. I don't know. Right? So we're trying to kind of keep ourselves flexible, keep ourselves robust. We can still react to the market um, when, when the conditions change. Um, and that, I think that is kind of a, um, it's a response to the volatility, not just of the currencies that we're working with, but it's a volatility of the business landscape itself. That's, that's, that's great. So your, your strategy is really to be a, the ability to pivot um, reposition quickly based sure. on yeah. the economic environment, but also based on your political environment. That's very smart. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a survivor's, it's a survivor strategy, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I, I imagine that you could also do the, the opposite, focus on one thing, but you need to get lucky. Um, it needs to be the right time, the right place, the right administration, the right technology, whatever, right? Lots of things have to align. Um, our strategy is um, a little bit more conservative, I guess, in that sense. It, it, it allows us to change, to, to course correct as necessary, uh, depending on what's happening with the world, I guess. That's awesome. That's great. Very cool. So, and, and from what we understand, Lewis, you also co-authored a book. Can you tell us about the, yeah. the book? So, so um, uh, when we moved to, so I've only been living in my little beach town thing for about 10 days now, but I made sure to bring a copy of this because I need to be able to show it to people just in case I was oh, doing like hold, a show like hold this. Straight. So hold it up, Lewis, hold it up, hold it up. The, the, the yeah, little Bitcoin book, Why Bitcoin Matters for Your Freedom, Finances, and Future. Awesome. Very nice. Yeah, there you go. So this is, uh, I mean, obviously I'm holding a paperback version of it, but there is a Kindle version for people who don't like dead trees. Um, I, I will say that this book is uh, not a technical explanation of how Bitcoin works. It is a social and economic explanation of why Bitcoin exists. So I wanted to write a book, uh, my co-authors and I, we wanted to write a book for our parents to, to, to explain to them why the heck we were so passionate and excited about this stuff. Um, I will also point out that it is the little Bitcoin book and not the big Bitcoin book. It is very short. 
you can probably read this in maybe a, a single cross-country flight, uh, and I'm talking about Canada, um, not the Philippines. The Philippines has no cross-country flights. So I think it takes like 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, but um, so it's a very short read, and it's written very, very plainly. Uh, we tried very hard to eliminate jargon and just talk about real-world scenarios. Um, so we talk about things like, you know, kind of the failing currencies of the developing world. We talk about kind of uh, regimes and how they inflate their currencies, you know, things like that. Um, and, and other stuff that are kind of relevant to why this stuff was, was, was created. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of uh, my little contribution, our contribution to the community. Uh, I think that we're a pretty decent first read for this stuff, and then once you kind of, you know, kind of wrap your head around the why, now you can start reading about kind of maybe the more esoteric, the more complicated technology side of it. Um, and so we were meant to be like the gateway, I guess, before before the really really serious reading. That's great. That's really great, Lewis. Um, it's been it's been amazing having you on as a guest and from the Philippines and from a beach town. You said you were four minutes walk from the beach, right? Yeah, yeah I haven't gotten a tan yet, though, but yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> that's okay. It's not healthy for you to get a tan anyway, so that's okay. Um, so, <laughs> okay. Louis, how can people get a hold of you? Um, so I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, so it's at Hello Luis, so H-E-L-L-O-L-U-I-S. So that's kind of my, like, if you if you saw saw me on the show, just, um, you know, at mention me on Twitter. I'm, I'm awake a lot, although not so much during Canadian daytime. Um, and then if you want to see the art, the art is at a site called Maker's Place, makersplace.com slash CryptoPop. Uh, and you can also just search for CryptoPop. There's not that many CryptoPops in the world. Uh, so you'd probably be able to find it. Uh, but yeah, Twitter is probably the best place. Um, my, my startup is called Bloom. Uh, we're based in the Philippines. We've been trying to make crypto as accessible, safe, and secure for the Filipinos since uh, 2015. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And Craig, I think you have something on the bucket list that you could share with Lewis. Yeah, well, it was very, very cool that we had somebody from a beach community coming on because just last week we were talking ourselves about our BG Wealth Properties company buying an island. So I don't know, are there uh, around the Philippines that we could we could purchase possibly, Lewis? Are oh, yeah. Doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, with maybe five or six Bitcoin, depending on what the price is like. Very nice. We had, we had a few people on the team say, well, let's put that on our bucket list. But I'd like to move a little quicker than that. I actually put it on our to-do list. So <laughs> we will move ahead with that. It'll be a good perk for employees when we, when we finally get, be able to move again and travel. So yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. Uh, go, go, go to our own island on our next trip to Cambodia for Sonus. Yeah. Uh, Louis, I look forward to meeting you on your beach one day. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. So I, you know, I would love to have you back on again and talk further about um, the developments of Bitcoin, the developments of your company. And uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Louis. Yes, thank Thanks you. Thanks so much, guys. This was a great conversation. Yes. Well, this concludes our podcast episode. And before we go, we'd like to leave you with a relevant quote. And this quote couldn't be more perfect. And again, everybody try and figure out who said that.
It's through curiosity and looking at opportunities in new ways that we've always mapped our path. Any idea who said that? Ding, ding, ding. Michael Dell. So Michael Dell. Thank you, everybody. Very nice. Very nice episode. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, continuing on with the finance theme, our guest in the next episode is award-winning senior wealth advisor at Asante Capital Management, Tina Trakian. Thank you. Tina will talk about planning tomorrow's finances today. Now, everybody, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that notification bell to get updates on our latest podcasts. And don't forget to comment, everybody. We love comments. So thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lewis. Take care.